Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today, I'm talking to Kelly Knox, an extraordinary model and activist who was born without her left forearm. We talk about where she gets her strength and resilience from, how she fought prejudice and rejection to build an amazing modelling career, and how she hopes to use her platform to change society's perception of people with visible differences. Thank you very much for joining me today, Kelly. Thank you, Katie. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. (laughs) Now, like me, you're 34 years old. I am. And your life growing up, I guess it wasn't the same as your your peers. What was different about your childhood? Um, It's so strange because the word disabled was never really used in my family. I think growing up for me, I always knew my arm wasn't there, my left arm so, so you were born without your left arm? I was. I was born right. like it. So they don't know why it happens, um, but it's most common on the left-hand side and most common with girls. Even now, they don't really know why it happens. But when I'm asked this question, or oh, why did it happen, I always say that before I came to Earth, I chose this body to be born into to mm-hmm. help society change perceptions. Did you always have that train of thought? Could you always reframe it and and think like that? Or was that something that happened in your adult life that you were able to see it in that way? Um, It's so strange because I never come from like a spiritual family. But growing up since I was a little girl, I always knew that my beauty, my power, my wisdom, um, everything, my magic came from my soul. It's Mm -hmm. like I always knew that I was more than a body and that my body could never define me. And I think that's why I never felt disabled because Mm -hmm. I thought I'm I'm more than a body. My body is not what makes me who I am. So growing up, never used the word disabled. I had, you know, lots of friends and um, like my mum didn't use it, my dad, my brothers. So it wasn't really until I started modelling that I suddenly felt myself labelled. Mm-hmm. I felt myself put into a box and stereotyped, and that was very challenging for me. Yeah, because almost they would actually, in I suppose, use your disability as a, oh, we're using a disabled model. Yeah. And it, would be, it would actually be a feature, I suppose, almost, would it? Yeah, definitely. I think when I first started, like 10 years ago, it certainly was more about tokenism I guess because there wasn't any any models out there like me working in the fashion industry. What did your parents say when you said you wanted to get into modelling? I mean how young were you when you said you wanted to do that? Um, Well I was about 23 when I was on the show and um, this is Britain's next top model isn't it? Britain's missing top model model. yeah so um, I saw the competition just on an ad on Facebook Mm -hmm. and before that I never wanted to be a model. In fact, I just entered the competition for a laugh. So um came home from work one day and said to my mum, well, can you just take some like candid shots of me mm-hmm. and let's send it to the production company. Did that. And she uh, was supportive. She wasn't anxious or worried. No. She didn't fear rejection. She was really, you know, behind you and pro. Yeah, I think yeah. my mum... Both my parents, they always really believed in me. Uh I think I've always been pretty fearless, like growing up, always very courageous. And if I wanted to do anything, I always did it. I never thought about, oh, how will I do this? And even with the modeling thing, I never thought to myself, oh, there aren't anybody out there in fashion, in magazines, in advertising campaigns like me. So how am I going to be received? I just knew that my attitude was probably a little bit different Uh than 
quite a lot of disabled people at mm-hmm. that time, um, especially like out there in the media, because when I saw images of like disabled people, I really can't stand saying that word because I just feel like no connection to it. Well, it's but a weird word because it, it, it starts as dis. So, yeah. So it already takes away any empowerment. Completely. It's so like negative. And I, I did a talk and um, I mentioned in the talk, like the word association with like disabled, it's like broken, done in, done for, lame, maimed, wrecked, out of action. I thought, well, that is not describing me as a person or my personality. Um, and the opposite to disabled is able. Exactly. So, if, yeah. so does that mean you're not able? It's, it's, I mean, it's quite a depressing barrier to put on somebody before they've even started, really, isn't it? Completely. That's why I'm all about like the social model of disability now. So the social model is about um, you're not disabled by your impairment, but you're disabled by the attitudes of society or lack of access and inclusion, which is more what... Um, to say what people suffer from, like... Rather than the physical body. Completely. So growing up, did you struggle at school? Um, No, because I didn't really... I don't think it bothered me. I think when I was a teenager, there was a moment when I was maybe 13, 14, where um, I suddenly realised that was very different. Right. And it became more of an issue, but it didn't last long. I remember um, laying in my bed at night and wishing that I could wake up and the next day I'd have two hands I mean that's just absolutely ridiculous I mean I do believe in miracles but not that kind of miracle (laughs) and were you ever offered a prosthetic oh god yeah all throughout my life but it was never my cup of tea I mean I remember being very very young going to Roehampton Hospital with my mum and the only reason why I agreed to go in there obviously I'm the child so I can't tell my mum what I what I want to do at such a young age totally would have actually I did I did (laughs) but um they had a rocking horse there and that's the only thing that I like about going to the hospital I remember seeing this baby and I mean I could have been about six or something at the time and this baby um had no hands and no legs and I remember Mm. crying as Mm -hmm. a child it really really affected me and I just felt to know it's just so much emotion and sadness uh-huh. and it used to upset me seeing people with, without limbs even though that was also me um but is that because you didn't class yourself as somebody without a limb was it was it was it because you just had accepted who you'd always been and you didn't feel a sense because sometimes if we have something that society says is missing we live with a sense of loss like almost like a bereavement like, yeah would you say you you've ever experienced those feelings or has it not been how you felt about your situation certainly not when I was a child um and then with like the prosthetic it was always so like hard and like very orange very impractical very disabling like in fact me and my friend we just used to pull it off and on to make farting noises we just (laughs) we were just kids and just having fun with it we used to draw on it um I would never ever wear it in fact there's a story um I was very young because I was in a buggy and my mum had me in the push chair we was in the post office and I decided to um rip my false arm off oh my goodness and throw it across the floor wow and like all these people just kind of pointing and like looking like my poor mum that would give the neighbours something to talk about (laughs) but I think that's how I felt about it it's like completely even before I knew about society and how I could have been received it was just like this is not me it's gone right so um that was kind of my relationship with it and just never got on with it but I think with with a false arm I feel like it's only there to make you appear normal because it has no practical I mean now with like bionics and stuff I mean they do have uses still Mm -hmm. not for me but I think like back then 
it was there for other people's benefit so they don't exactly. feel awkward. Exactly, yeah. Katie, spot on. Yeah. And like, I don't want to be normalised. Just accept me for my raw, natural, authentic, weird, wonderful beauty. Yeah. And it's really quite a mature outlook to be able to have as a child. I mean, what about when you were going through puberty, you know, as a young girl becoming a teenager, discovering boys, people are dating? Did it stand in your way? Did it, like, hinder you? Did it affect your confidence in any way? Um when I liked boys back then, I just think kind of got what I wanted. <laughs> I think um, I think I always had that confidence. Like yeah. it, it never really affected me in that way. But I was definitely self conscious when I was a teenager of it. Mm. I think maybe that's why. I don't know. I think I always was maybe extra confident when I was a teenager because I would maybe was hiding the fact that I, I was suddenly self conscious. Where before all my life, I never felt like that about me. So like. Going back to the time when I was lying in bed wishing I could wake up with two hands, um, around that time was quite difficult and, yeah, yeah, I wished I could be like everybody else. So confidence, without a doubt, it does make us sexy. Do you think a high level of confidence can make a visible difference invisible? Like, you're so confident it can stop people seeing that you don't... They forget that you don't have your left arm. Yeah, I was... um, I was at Reading Festival on Friday um, with Primark and one of the other guys, one of the influencers that were on the trip, um, he said, I didn't even notice your arm. Yeah. Because he was watching my TED talk and then he suddenly realised. I genuinely believe that. Yeah. yeah. It's like they just can't see it because of the confidence. Mm -hmm. And also because society would say you're disabled, can't do certain things, Mm. probably won't be confident. That will be the expectation. So if you don't fit that ideal then maybe you're not disabled. Yeah, exactly. And I struggle with that as well. It's like, where do I place myself? Because even I went to like an event a few years ago now and I remember seeing this image of like a disabled person on the advertising and it just didn't represent what it means to be disabled in like whatever that year was, say 2016. Mm -hmm. It was very dated, very unfashionable, very frumpy. I'm thinking like that's how maybe society will see a disabled person. How about using someone who's, you know, fashionable, very empowering, positive, beautiful, and then that will make more of an impact. It's like if you're disabled, you have to, like, kind of be in the background or shove uh-huh. under the carpet or maybe only come out once a year for Halloween or every four years for the Paralympics when that's what I want to change. Yeah, and it's also, you know, if society's thoughts about you are your life's always going to be different because you don't have a left arm, you almost don't try and you surrender to that ideal of like, well, this is what people like me, this is this is as far as we go, this is our ceiling. 100%. You're only 34 and you, and you said there about going to Reading Festival with Primark. Well, I follow you on Instagram. You didn't just go to Reading Festival with Primark. You're basically <laughs> the massive blown-up poster centre fashion model you weren't there just because you were disabled you are stunning you're a great model and you know it's a really powerful image talk to me about this career I mean you you said you started on the show Missing Next Top Model and how how was the show for you what were the other models like with you um when I was about to go in the house I thought what the hell am I doing like it might sound really strange but I never knew like any disabled people so to suddenly be put in a house where I'm going to be labelled as disabled and be around other disabled people. I thought this is going to be really tough. And just uh, share a house with strangers. I know, Big strangers. Brother. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a shower. And a shower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I made a really good friend on there called Rebecca. She um, had, was born with with one leg, and like we became really, really, really close friends. Um, 
Did you win the show? I did, yeah. And you did, you were the winner. Right, yeah, see, okay. I'm so humble. <laughs> I would have totally got that in sooner. <laughs> quite shy, really. <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? Models can be quite shy in, yeah. their, in their personal life. Yeah, so totally. So you won that show. Was that a real... I mean, I want to say boost, but it sounded like you didn't need a boost. Yeah. I, I wish I could say yes, but I felt completely let down. Like, I won this show. Like, I thought, you know, I come from a working class family. Um... I thought my life is going to change. I'm going to, you know, have this success, um, be doing something that I love, be um, making a difference to society, making a difference to my life and other people's lives in the process. But when I won the show, and I remember um, in the final, I didn't, even when they said my name that I won, I didn't really feel that excited because I felt like nothing's going to happen. I kind of like had that inner knowing. So you knew then? I right. knew instantly. I was signed with an agency um, called Take Two and um, within six months they went into liquidation. Why is that? They were just not a good business model? I think just like, yeah, money money issues. Um, and did you get ripped off financially then? Or? Uh, no, they just, no, I just didn't... I got one job and it wasn't even like a high-paid job. I think right. I had one cast in. It was just ridiculous. Which is crazy because that was a big show. I remember that show. Yeah. It was a big show on the BBC. Yeah. High profile, you know, like you should have been like catapulted into paid work within mainstream society. 100% just wasn't like that at all. I felt like I was kicked in the gutter. And at that time as well, I, I left my job um, thinking that I'm going to have this new career. So I kind of had to find my own feet around. Um, I think probably a few months into it or after, I met Jane Gulpin. She was a fashion producer for Channel 4 and How to Look Good Naked with Gok Kwan. Right, okay. I met Jane, I met Gok, he loved me. Then I was one of his Gokettes for like two or three series of How to Look Good Naked. And that kind of helped me finding my feet in the fashion industry. Everything was new to me. I mean, I didn't know anything about the fashion industry yeah. and how to be in it. I didn't know how to be disabled. It's like, what the hell am I doing? It was just completely all new, all fresh, very challenging. And without a disability, it's a doggy dog world. Oh, God, yeah. An overwhelming world. So here you are, like, as a young adult, you face adversity all your life, but overcome it. And now you get your supposed big break and actually all over again you're having you're having to fight yeah definitely completely just fell um just let down and like I was in the gutter it was a very very hard time for me yeah. because it felt like tokenism do you think like a show that ticked the box maybe yeah because I felt like um if people believed in it that much then I wouldn't have struggled and um, as much I would have had the support I would have had like a career opportunity um and it that just wasn't the case. I mean, if it was like um, Britain's Next Top Model or something like that, you get offered like a proper contract, mm -hmm. you get front cover of a magazine. And um, when I won the show, I was shot by the amazing ranking and the images were just absolutely just so beautiful, mm -hmm. so fashion, like high fashion. I wore like Prada and Chanel. It was yeah. incredible. And um, I only found out till recently they were meant to be, one image was meant to be on the front cover of Mary Claire and they pulled it. Why? Because they were scared? Scared. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't want to take the risk. 
Totally. That yeah. the mag won't sell. Yeah, completely. And, and that's the brutal truth about that's it. That's the isn't brutal it? truth, yeah. So it makes me so angry because it makes the whole show pointless. Yeah. Because the whole point is to challenge perception and to change the covers, to start exercising our mind, to open our minds. And if you're too scared to take the risk, what's the point? Exactly. See, the Primark campaign I just did, um, my image was their top image ever on Primark with 115,000 likes. Good. Yes. Good. <laughs> That's yes. what we want. <laughs> we want that. We want yeah. that. I mean, it, it reminds me of like sometimes, um, particularly in the past, I would sit and do a long interview with a journalist and I felt like they really got me. And then I would see the piece and the headline would be like... Um, X burn acid model and I'm like what does that even mean that sounds like somebody that stands in Robert Dias by like a shelf of acid like what are you so insulting yeah Mm. and then even in the text it'd be like and Katie lives with horrific burns and I'm like well they're horrific because society says they're horrific but actually they're just different markings and different texture exactly so if you want to keep calling them horrific then yes they'll be labeled as that that's about them not about you katie isn't it it's about their own insecurities and own fears nothing about your beauty or your body because you're so amazingly beautiful in every way but for me it's also really lazy because it's like oh this is the way we've always been conditioned to think you're a freak you're scary you're horrific and you're you're like well am i like actually you're just brought up that way to watch the Disney film where the baddie has the scar mm-hmm. and that's it why don't you challenge your own mindset and see what's in front of you completely and write a completely different article because what's in front of you is possibly brand new and you've never been faced of it but no people don't like risk no so Marie Claire will just do what they've always done because yeah. it sells and in a way when you're at the other end of that when you're the model like that's that's a harsh reality isn't it it is yeah so how did you carry on modelling, like, from, from that letdown, like, and now, like, you are the poster girl in Primark? Like, <laughs> you said you met Gok. Was that yeah. a, quite a defining moment then? I think so, because, um, like, I wasn't working up to that point. So meeting Gok was quite, um, it kind of entered me back into the fashion industry, got me out there on TV, you know, um, Channel 4, and working on a great programme and doing something where, you know, Gok was helping women to be more loving and caring um, towards their own body. Mm-hmm. It was very empowering. So I was very grateful and happy to be part of that. Um, but it still wasn't easy. I still wasn't, like, getting work just, like, thrown at me. Um, so how did you keep going in the face of that rejection? I have no idea, Katie. It was really, really tough. I felt so depressed for a long time, yeah. but I just had to continue. I also had to get a full-time job because my bills wouldn't pay itself. So, right. like, in between... Like, did you have a child at this point? No. 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 Okay. So, um, yeah, that would have been very, very hard. Yeah, of course. But um, it was still difficult. So, you know, knowing that I could be doing so much and, you know, contributing to society in such an, a powerful and empowering way... Just to be working like a normal job, I felt just so wasted and I would cry because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, of but what am I doing here? This isn't me. This, is, this isn't what I chose to do to come here. Um, I'm so much like more than this. I need to make a difference to society. Um, so I was it's just like using... a real passion that you had. Oh, God, well. yeah, completely. Because yeah. I wanted to give up so many times. But there was just something inside of myself saying, this isn't about you. This Mm -hmm. is about other people, about you need to be helping other people to make a difference to other people's lives. You need to help other people to see the light within themselves and to shine and sparkle. And I thought, if I just give up now, then where's the resilience in that? I've always been resilient. Mm -hmm. I've always been courageous. I've always been pretty fearless. So I need to 
let that warrior spirit just keep on just pushing me through. And even at times where I wanted to give up, just don't do it. I mean, in that time, my brother passed away. He was only really? 36. He had my cancer. Wow. Um, my dad also passed away a few years after. Like oh it was gosh. really, really tough times. But yeah. Do you think that was sent to test you then? I mean, that's a, that's a huge loss. Yeah. I mean, my brother, um, so this was 2011, so not really long after mm-hmm. the show, really. And that was around the time where I wasn't getting much work and just fighting my corner, really. Because a lot of people would have actually seen said enough's enough and they would have given up, maybe gone within themselves and surrendered mm. to the label and the limitation. Yeah. I mean, I definitely lost when that happened to my brother because he, he had, you know, had a family, had children, he had a wife. Like he was only 36 I felt like giving up mm-hmm. I felt like I completely lost faith and lost hope well, how can this happen to such a beautiful man but he was very supportive of me mm-hmm. and um so I felt like I need to be doing it for him as well like I wanted because I wanted to make him proud mm-hmm. so um, that was a part of your motivation 100% yeah I think no matter what happens in our lives like pain doesn't happen to you or suffering, it happens for you. Oh my God, I've got to write that down. That's so good. <laughs> it enables you to grow. Like, and mm-hmm. um, I think the more we suffer or experience pain in our lives, it's what we chose to, to experience and it's for our own soul growth. And I think the most strongest and beautiful people have gone through lots of suffering. It's interesting the statement you said about, um, you know, these rejections and uh, people not helping you and all this adversity you were coming up against, reminding yourself it wasn't about you and it was about those people. And I suppose it's a bit like when we break up in, you know, in a relationship, I don't know if we, if we get dumped or it doesn't work out, we always have to remember, or if someone cheats on us, it's not about us, it's about them, it's their insecurity, it's a reflection of them. And I even though I know that message, I know myself how hard it is to hold on to that. If somebody says something about you or rejects you, you have to hold on to it being a reflection of them and not you. But it takes tremendous inner core strength to really cling on to that in those dark times. Yeah, definitely. Um, and modelling is rejection anyway, no matter yeah. what you look like, isn't it? Yeah, it's all about perfection, I guess. But this is why I'm so passionate about being visible out in the fashion industry because... You don't have to be perfect. Like, Mm -hmm. perfection doesn't exist. If you just continue to aspire to this image of perfection, then you're just going to always be unhappy because you're never going to get there. You're always going to want something more or to be more perfect. And it's just unachievable. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I'd love to know when you saw a change because, um, so I've been burnt for 10 years and I've, which isn't that long, really. It's only since I was 24. So all my teens and at school, I didn't know what it was like to live with a visible difference. Um, And I I feel like I've noticed a change in the last um, five, six years, maybe. Do you you feel like from your career in the beginning to where your career is at now, have you noticed a significant change in perception? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we have made some slow progress, but there is still a very long way to go. Um, I mean, like in the States, they just had like amazing Olay campaign where they use two visibly different models mm-hmm. um, as part of it. And uh, I think people want to be empowered by the images they see now. They don't want to feel oppressed. They want to see realness. They want to see authentic people. They want to see diversity. What? Why, though? Because it's not its not that we've got more disabled people than ever. Yeah. Why do you think people's minds are opening up? What do you think's changed? I don't think diversity is a new beauty ideal now because it represents the world we live in. It's like modern Britain... Um, and people want to relate to people. We want to feel empowered. We want to know we don't have to be this perfect version of Instagram where people are filtered and stuff like that. People want to be seen for who they are. Like I did, a, um, I put a tweet out a few weeks ago and I just said like, um, I want my soul to be seen and my body to be celebrated. And like, I know you've commented, commented before on my post about um, you're learning something new every day when I do my spiritual stuff. Yeah, sometimes I read your posts and I could be anywhere, usually in a soft play with my kids. <laughs> and your posts stop me in my track. Sometimes they give me a lump in my throat. Oh, like, yeah, because it's, it, but it's just so important and it's so relatable. Mm. And Sometimes I find it so frustrating. The only thing that's stopping people like you and I feeling complete or other people seeing us as complete is just this made-up opinion. Yeah. I think you posted something about don't don't let society uh, strip you. That's it, strip you of your beauty. Yeah. And I was like, my God, I remember feeling so ugly after what happened to me and literally like a monster but I wasn't dead. I was still alive and I still I still had loads of things I could give and do. But society made me feel like such a misfit. Mm, and it was yeah. just an opinion. And because there was no one else out there visibly burnt, classed as beautiful, successful, attractive. There was mm. I mean, did you have any role mod- role models growing up? Not really, no. I mean, I used to read all the really good like fashion magazines, like, you know, teenage ones like Shout and Bliss and Sugar and yeah. um but I never stopped to think, why isn't there somebody like with a visible difference like me? But I think now, if I was a teenager now, I would definitely feel like that if there wasn't any representation because mm-hmm. just the way society is with social media and everything. Um, do you still, do you ever get down though? Like you're on Instagram yeah, and it, it can be quite an oversaturated place of facade, uh, Photoshop, the best bits. Like, do you ever experience like feelings of... Not depression, but, you know, just like sometimes it it challenges your worth and your self-esteem. I can't say I feel like that in in terms of like not accepting my body or feeling that way about my body. But I just want more work. I want to be out there working all the time. That's what I get depressed or frustrated about because even though I do like amazing campaigns like Primark and stuff, I want more. I want to be doing this like all the time. Do you still feel like people are yet to catch on? God, yeah, totally. I mean, like my life hasn't really changed like dramatically. Mm -hmm. I just want to be out there doing amazing things all the time and why shouldn't I be? But you're quite an ambitious person though as well, aren't you? Like, Are you one of those people that's like... I, I guess that's how people become successful because they never settle for second best. You yeah. know, they, they keep going. And it, I'm so passionate about it, Katie. I just want to just, just want to be out there, just making a difference to society, challenge people's perceptions about beauty and about disability, show people what it's like to be disabled in 2018. It's not people's perception of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a mum. I remember being 
pregnant and I went to a breastfeeding workshop and like some mum, she came up to me and said, oh, how are you going to change a nappy? How are you going to do this? And I thought like, I'm going to do it exactly how I've done everything else in my life. Because yeah. I think when you are different... You adapt. You adapt. You just have yeah. a natural way of adapting to things. I think you're a natural problem solver. You're naturally creative. Um, but and again, it was about her, how she's going to cope. Yeah. And she um, put that onto you. She put that onto that me. anxiety. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, and I was fine. I just straight away, I just thought, okay, just done my own thing. And that's how it always was. And what about having a son? I mean, your son's three. Um, what's it been like with your son? Does he ask you questions? Um, no, not really. I mean, he, he loves my arm. When he was younger, he, um, I mean, he still loves Michael Jackson now, but he was really into Michael Jackson. Oh, I'm so. a massive Michael Jackson fan. Okay. <laughs> so he used to like sing into my arm like it's a microphone. Right. Okay. And I think because it's quite soft and squishy, like he like used to like touching it. And when yeah. he was very small, he'd be like sucking on it. Like when oh, he was like TV and, and stuff. A comfort, a comfort thing. Comfort, yeah. yeah. That's so, an interesting spiritual connection. Yeah. The thing that the world says should hold you back and isn't lovable was his actual comforter. Oh, come, oh Kate, I feel like I want to cry. That's so beautiful. <laughs> but it's true, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. that brought your child security, safety and comfort. Yeah. And the world's trying to make you feel like that should hinder you and, yeah. that, and that's your flaw. Yeah, completely. I mean, does he ask you about disability in general? Does he say, like my daughter will say to me, like I have to wear um, like plastic tubing in my nose. So my daughter will say to me, where, where are my tubes? When am I getting my tubes? And I'm like, well, you know, you don't need them because you, you don't have problems with your breathing and mummy's got problems with her breathing. And, you know, and that, that mm. that's how conversations will kind of evolve with us. I mean, does he ever ask you why he has two arms and you don't? Um, I did ask him um, what does disabled mean a while back. And he said, it means Capri's cream egg and a minion. <laughs> Oh my okay. god, total innocence, <laughs> Yeah, then. completely. But I met with a friend and she wears a bionic arm, but straight away he wanted her to take her arm off. Right. Like, cause he wanted to see her her natural, like, real arm and, like, he, he felt uncomfortable with the bionic arm where she said most children are more excited about what the bionic arm can do, but no, my son wanted to see her natural state That's and to so feel her arm. interesting, yeah. yeah, because he's used to, his normal is what you've created. Yeah, definitely. It, it's all about what our normal becomes, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny, because um, obviously the way we met um, was at Bristol Fashion Week, yeah. and um, it was school half term, so my daughter came up, and she came backstage, and it was Jack that she saw, Jack Ayres. So yeah. he's, he's an amputee, he's got a... Um, prosthetic leg and he was wearing shorts and his prosthetic leg is just just a metal you know didn't have like a flesh covering or anything mm. so straight away my daughter's like oh my god where's your leg <laughs> and I'm just like okay right this is interesting and he just spoke to her normally and said well actually when I was younger I lost my leg and then she asked me about it in the hotel and I said oh well you know like Obviously, you notice something different about mummy, don't you? And it was, I'd just actually not long given birth to my second child, her, her baby sister. And she said, yeah, I noticed different stuff about mummy. I noticed you've got a big tummy and the baby's not even in there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, she's like body shaming me. And I was like, well, yeah. I was like, it's normal to have a big tummy after you have a baby. So, you know, she's noticing his prosthetic leg, but she's not noticing me with like, 20, yeah. you know, 25% full thickness burns all over my face and upper body. So I guess Burns has become my daughter's normal. Yeah, same with Jensen. Like, this is his normal. Yeah. And this is why I feel it's so important to for visible differences to be represented out there in fashion, in the beauty industry, um, like on TV, in the media, 
because then young people will see it. Yeah. And then it's normalised. I mean, CBeebies, they're so inclusive. They are so inclusive. They're brilliant. Yeah, they are brilliant. And it's like, there's the proof. If the retailer could invest in you and believe in you, if the front covers of the magazines could believe in you, we could all be like our children. Yeah. And if we could like condition ourselves to see those things, if people have accidents, attacks, genetic conditions, we as a society could come together and make that not a problem. Yeah, definitely. Like, we've done it with race. We're doing... I say done it with race. We're, we're, we're doing it with race. We've come mm. a long way with race. Yeah. We've come a long way with gender. Please, can we just do it with visible difference and disability? Mm, definitely the last like, barrier to break, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you about um, what you would say to somebody that's struggling themselves at the moment yeah. because you do have bucket loads of um, resilience and confidence. Mm. And actually, I'm going to come at you with a specific problem because um, on the podcast, we, we encourage people through Instagram to to email in with their situations and there's a young girl 26 year old she's emailed in and said I'm a graphic designer in 2017 my life completely changed and I went from being a healthy active person to living with a disability um it was sepsis that she she contracted something she'd she'd not heard of until that point she said I got extremely ill very quickly I spent a lot of the year in hospital and the sepsis resulted in me losing my left leg below the knee my right leg reconstructed and most of my fingers shortened as you can imagine it was a complete shock adapting to a new life and it was hard I feel that I've overcome the worst but I'm constantly working my rehabilitation um she wanted to share her story uh with us and um I guess I suppose I mean she wants to raise awareness also of sepsis but what would what would you say to I mean this girl's um called Laura and actually I'm reading it and I actually know Laura's met me I actually met Laura at Whitston Hospital and she, she's a strong inspirational woman but what would you say to not just Laura but people like Laura um, you know, for you, you were born with your condition, but yeah. when life changes and you, you're used to being told that any other way than normal is going to be a struggle, I mean, what advice would you give to somebody in facing that struggle? I mean, I think if there was more visibility present out there in the media, then Laura definitely wouldn't feel that way about her own body. Um, I mean, already she's overcome so much in her life. It just goes to show how adaptable, resilient, um, creative and what an incredible woman she is to even to get to this point where she is now. Um, I do believe that everything that happens to us, like I said before, the pain, the suffering, it doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Mm-hmm. And it's all about our own soul's growth and how we can be more softer, compassionate, um, more courageous and more wise. It, we do go through these things in life, but we can't be conditioned by um, the things that happen to us. Mm-hmm. Just know that we don't have to be perfect. Yes, life is going to change, but that's not a bad thing. Change is a natural part of life. It happens all the time in nature. Spring doesn't think about how summer's going to cope or autumn or winter. It just happens very naturally. And I think just having that self-belief in yourself that... Um, everything's going to be okay. You don't need to be perfect. And um, beauty is imperfection. And such a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, just like Laura is obviously a very, very strong person. And like she can, she has that gift to give to other people Mm -hmm. as well. And um, yeah, just, I think when you accept the things that happen to us or how we are, then it makes things a lot, easier absolutely yeah well I mean I talked about Instagram and and your page a lot and and how much it inspired me and I I really believe surrounding yourself with positive messages Mm. and people that kind of 
have the same moral compass as you and the same beliefs as you can really help. So before we go, um, could you tell us where people can follow you and get more of your messaging? What, what's your Instagram and Twitter handle? Thank you. Yes, my Instagram and Twitter is It's Kelly Knox, so I-T-S and Kelly Knox. So guys, please follow Kelly for more inspiration um, and also um, a lot more spiritualism <laughs> and, and positive messaging, which is what we actually need on social media. I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much for just sharing, you know, almost actually just a small part of, of you and your life because there is so much to you. Um, but I've learned so much just sat opposite you here today so thanks thank, Katie thank I you love for you. giving oh I love you too <laughs> total love <off. laughs> thank you for giving your time thank you. today thank Appreciate you, you. <laughs> thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People if you haven't already please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts next week I'm talking to Johnny Benjamin MBE a mental health campaigner author and blogger He talks about how he experienced mental health issues from the age of three. He also discusses coming out to his parents and his campaign to find the man who saved his life during one of his worst bouts of depression. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials. Thank you.